This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we'll be talking about why a positive organizational culture is so important to employees' happiness and performance. Our guest is Greg Besner. He's the author of a very readable new book on the topic. The title is The Culture Quotient, 10 Dimensions of a High-Performance Culture. Greg is an expert on what it takes for an organization to create a strong and successful culture, and his own career is fascinating. He's a highly accomplished entrepreneur. He won praise for his performance as a CEO. He's a writer, speaker, adjunct professor, and an active nonprofit board member. And he was an early investor in a company that talks a lot about its culture, Zappos. Greg, thank you so much for being here today. We're talking about a really hot topic, the um, importance and um, increasing importance, I guess I should say, of organizational culture. But before we dig into that and start talking about your book, The Culture Quotient, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your career. It sounds like you've had a fascinating um, uh, series of careers, really. Can you tell us how you got started, perhaps as an entrepreneur, and, and, and then developed your interest on the culture of organizations? Absolutely. Uh, thank you again for having me on. I'm very excited and looking forward to our conversation. Uh, so my career is probably not a typical trajectory. I started out of college, actually in the fashion and retail industry here in, in New York City, and about 20 miles from where I live, and, and had uh, about a seven or eight year uh, career working in retail, starting at the, the famous Macy's Retail Executive Training Program. And from there, a series of, of leadership roles as a leader at Macy's and then working at Liz Claiborne and eventually running sales and marketing in the United States for Giorgio Armani. So just a really terrific uh, intro, introduction to career working in you know, New York City and, and actually Giorgio Armani spending a lot of time working in Italy. So Wow, really, great companies there. It was really exciting because I came from a very modest uh, background, very poor family in, in a very small beach community. And I dreamed of one day uh, being in the big city and having uh, a career as a professional, uh, traveling the world. And, and even as far back as I can remember, being an entrepreneur, which uh, you know, I remember riding my bicycle on the boardwalk in Atlantic City where I grew up and seeing uh, Neil the Balloon King a guy that would sell balloons outside uh -huh. of an amusement park. And I remember he had a money belt and we, my father and I bicycle passed and I saw him pull out a wad of what I look, look like the, the most money in the world, right? It was a, a wad of $1 bills from people buying his balloons. And I said, wow, someday I want to be like Neil the Balloon King. <laughs> so, Your first entrepreneurial hero. <clears throat> he was, he really was. And, and I actually eventually sold potato chips and pretzels on the beach had my own money belt, and and from there just dreamed of of being an entrepreneur. And uh, so the first part of my career was really uh, 
sort of building a base of of experience through these leadership training programs and working for these amazing companies. Uh, but I did. I ended up going back to business school to to learn more about management, and that started my second career, uh, which landed me on Wall Street. Uh, again, being in the New York City area, sort of retail and and finance were the the big industries back. You know, this is 20, 30 years ago already, and uh, had a had a, another wonderful wave of learning. Uh, also, learning about different cultures because working in retail and fashion, and then working in financial services, uh, very different cultures. I was fortunate to work in amazing organizations, uh, but but a very different experience in each location and always hoping, uh, always as- aspiring to be an entrepreneur. And that's 20 years ago that finally happened. Uh, and, and many, I teach entrepreneurship now for the past eight years at, at, at NYU, New York University, Stern School of Business. And, and many of the students, they want to be entrepreneurs right away, right? And there are so many great examples of, of, uh, of some of the most famous organizations in the world started by, by students. Um, but my path was, as I, as I mentioned, I had several careers before becoming an entrepreneur. And thank goodness, because that base of information and, and uh, was critical and seeing cultures from big companies and then eventually having to decide the type of cultures that I would have in the organizations that I was managing. Well, you've had um, great grounding, it feels like, before you started your own things. And, you know, the research suggests that um, old, older aspiring entrepreneurs should not be discouraged because increasingly older um, professionals are taking all their skills and a little bit of money and they're launching businesses at a much more successful rate than the young people we think about. So I like to see young people do these wild things, but it's also good to know that everybody has a different schedule and the grounding you got probably helped you a lot. But back, back to your um, your retail um, years one of the things when I was reading about you that I was intrigued by is that you were one of the original investors, and I guess more than an investor, maybe kind of a buddy of um, Zappos, which is a fascinating uh, company. Um, we've had um, some Zaponians, the employees um, <laughs> on the show, at, talking about um, how kind of being weird and caring and collaborative and um, nimble, all kinds of things are values that they uh, really think about every day. So were you intrigued by that part of Zappos or that it was an interesting retailer or what kind of drew your attention to it to begin with? Right. Well, I'm happy you did your homework and that is a a, a really important chapter in in my background. Uh, Back after I left the retail and apparel industry, and went to business school and went to Wall Street. Uh, you it, you could argue that all those years in retail and apparel were uh, were behind me, uh, but I ended up uh, marrying back into the business. Now, this is a little on the personal side. My wife was a fashion designer, and at Calvin Klein at the time, and we got married and and we decided to that we would start a handbag company because of her experience with. Uh, with fashion design and my experience with retail management. And in 20 years ago, we started a business. So fortunately, my, my wife 
was an entrepreneur and and I was uh, just starting my entrepreneurial journey. So that that experience earlier in my career was brought front and center again, and that ended up being a critical part of the Zappos uh, part chapter in my life. Three years later, uh, through a friend, again, through all this sort of serendipity of all this tying together. Serendipity is a word that Zapponians use very often. And, yes. And, and my business close friend from business school happened to live in the same building that Zappos was at the time. It was Tony Shea, who was the CEO of Zappos, lived in the same building in San Francisco as a, a close business school friend. And my friend met Tony in the elevator years a year or so prior. Um, I was visiting my friend, and there, lo and behold, Tony Shea, again, another elevator encounter, and, and that's when I met Tony, Tony Shea, and that brief encounter uh, led to, uh, led to a, a reintroduction soon after when my wife and I were launching our handbag business. Zappos happened to be trying to expand beyond shoes. And the next category for Zappos back in 2003 was to expand into handbags. Today, they, Zappos sells many things, uh, but at the time, it was really known as just a shoe retail, e- e-commerce retailer. So actually, my wife and I, our brand became the, the largest shoe brand on Zappos. Um, so that initial introduction to Tony Shea, introducing our handbags on Zappos, uh, was uh, was the beginning of what became more of a, as you said, a friendship with Zappos. Zappos was really a unique retailer. With my background in retail, it was it was very clear to me that Zappos was was building its brand in a very different way. Uh, it was really using culture front and center to to inspire its employees, uh, to build brand awareness, and to really bring what Zappos calls wow, a wow moment or wow moments to their consumers, to their customers. So really using culture as part of its strategy. And this was, and I'd worked at some amazing companies, but this was a really intentional use of culture to build a brand, to build employee inspiration and to build customer satisfaction. Now today, you can't go to a leadership conference uh, without culture being one of the main leadership tracks. Um, But back 15, 17 years ago, there were only a handful of companies that were really putting culture front and center. Lots of organizations with amazing culture, but really using culture as part of its strategy to be a high-performance organization, uh, it was unique. So it really was a very important chapter, a chapter that uh, really set me on a trajectory to make culture a uh, not just part of the way I would uh, manage business, but making culture my business. Well, I think that was a very fortunate encounter. I, uh, Shay is one of the more intriguing um, entrepreneurial or corporate leaders. And I, I vaguely remember, like back even before his first book, how he talked pretty openly about what he was doing. And I think people thought, oh, that's very California. Uh, a lot of companies uh, didn't uh, take it too seriously at the beginning. But um, now, as you say, um, 
organizational culture or company culture is a really hot term now. And you can't go to a leadership conference without having it on the agenda uh, someplace. Um, so I, I think Shay played a role in, in letting people understand why um, the personality of an organization can matter so much. But there's much more to it than that. So, so why do you think um, that um, culture is is the one of the hot words that that leaders are struggling with today? What? Why is it so important? Well, it's uh, you're absolutely correct that it's on every every conference you attend. It's even if it's not a culture. Well, often it's it's just a a leadership conference. It can be a manufacturing conference. It can be a service conference. It's it seems most speakers either have it as a key part of their of their keynote or or a uh, significant part of their of their topic of discussion. And I think a couple things happened, right? So for one, over the last five to seven years, we've had a transformation in the workplace, right? For for many decades, the baby boom generation was the largest cohort uh, in the workplace. And over the past five years, about five years ago, the millennial generation became the largest cohort in the workforce. And now, of course, many of the millennials are in leadership roles in organizations. And for decades, uh, people cared immensely about job security and healthcare, and people still care about that today. But the other thing people care about, um, really just as seemingly just as much, in some cases more so, um, is, uh, is the mission and purpose of an organization, the, the core values of an organization, making sure that there's alignment between yourself as an employee or a leader at a company, and the mission, purpose, and values of the organization. Um, also, the the ability to grow, uh, to grow as a person, to grow as a leader in an organization. You know, back uh, a generation ago, right? People would strive for job status, for for job security and and compensation. And of course, coming out of uh, World War II and and being part of that baby boom generation, uh, where times were, um, uh, you know, having Parents that had uh, were whispering in their ear find the stability because there were such challenging times that we were emerging from, versus the millennial generation that that emerged from the greatest you know financial bull market in history and the evolution, the introductions of technologies that that were changing, disrupting the world. So it's this generation really is uh, did uh, emerge from a, a very different. Uh, a very different set of circumstances, right? We, including myself, I have teenage children. I tell my my one daughter just went off to college, and I and I told her to pursue her dreams, pursue her passion, because I knew when she got to college, people would ask her, "What career will you be following? What what is it you like to do? You know, what is it that you're studying? And do you think you'll be a lawyer? Do you think you'll be a doctor? Do you think you'll be a dancer?" And I and I wanted her to to know that. That I've got that my her her mother and I uh, have her back, and that she should pursue uh, what pursue her dreams, and I think that's very different than a generation ago. 
Um, and not that one is uh, bad or one is good. It's just, it's just a very different yeah. environment that we're all emerged from. It's a different awareness and a different way of looking at your career. I, people used to have a sense that they'd build the skills and then there'd be a ladder and they'd keep working up the ladder and at each new um, level, you know, they'd get new understanding and perks. But now um, things um, that might impact how we think about our careers relate to what our goals are, what we want out of life, kind of the, the big picture. So, so mission is a theme that I find comes up when I'm working with clients or, you know, even just thinking about what I want to do next in my own life. So, so that's how I want to get back to the theme of mission, but I also want to mention another theme that, that you just touched upon and, and um, that is growth and how maybe mission and growth overlap a little bit. But, but first on the topic of mission, people everywhere now pay lip service to mission. And people everywhere seem to talk about its importance. And yet, sometimes if I'm maybe talking with a new team of clients someplace within a big organization, uh, maybe I work with like mid-level managers, perhaps, and um, I can, back in the days when I was actually going to places, I might see the mission on the wall as you entered. But when you talk to um, uh, even managers sometimes, they are vague on what the mission means. They're vague on what it means to them individually and vague on the team. So it's not just enough to have a mission, right? Culture is about acting on the mission. Is that right? That, that's right. It's it's really, uh, as we were talking about Zappos, it's really living living that mission and, and those core values. The part, The first part is for employees and managers to really know, to understand and believe in the company's purpose, mission, values, have it defined. Um, and then the second part is making sure that, that it continues to be communicated. And as the organization is making decisions or having successes or having failures, right? How do those, uh, how do those circumstances tie back to the mission and the value, right? If, if it's just, words printed on a wall, uh, that's the extent of it. But when you start to uh, make decisions uh, or make decisions not to move forward with certain, um, certain strategies or certain products or certain, um, uh, or even hiring or firing, right? when you start to base all of that upon your mission and your values to show that you're actually, um, that these are not just words on the wall, um, that's when people start to to really take notice and need to and need and, and understand that that they need to have alignment. Um, that this is a place that that is aligned with their own values and that they believe in the purpose. Um, only then um, does it become uh, the heartbeat of the organization, as opposed to uh, words on a uh, on the on the wall. That that belief is really important. It- it's not just having a mission and even understanding the mission that makes the difference. Sometimes it's a, it's being passionate about it. And so that's what helps you get grit and resilience and keep going during the tough times, right? That it's, it's, it's living um, the mission collectively is part that's of right. the culture. And, and this, and the mission and values, it doesn't just, 
come out of thin air. That process of, of determining your mission and the values for every organization has its own unique mission, its own values. That's not an easy process, right? You have to have buy-in, right? You, it's not one leader saying, here, it, here are our values, right? It needs to it needs to happen somewhat organically. It needs to there needs to be buy-in from the organization, and this process can sometimes, uh, you know, well, hopefully you, you're formulating this at the onset of the org- of the company. I teach this in my entrepreneurship uh, class that sort of this you know having your mission and your and your values as the base as the pillars when you're building your company. Right, because you can only have a strong company if you have a strong base. Uh, and but some organizations are moving so quickly; uh, some of these things are just implied and not explicit. And uh, and then sometimes after the fact, you're you're kind of organizing all that information and and articulating it kind of after the fact. And if that's the case, that's fine. Uh, but at some point. Uh, there needs to be sort of an explicit expression of that mission and that purpose and those values so that the next employees that that join um, understand they, they that can they can be articulated to the next wave of employees everyone that joins your organization changes your culture right so if someone joins and as you said they may not be familiar with the mission of the company the purpose the the values well if they're not familiar then we need to make them we need to make sure they understand we need to make it make it part of the interview process uh, make sure there's alignment and understanding and buy-in We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. One of the values that um, you mentioned that I, I think is so important during kind of particularly challenging times and rapid transformation is um, a commitment to growth. That in, a, in an organization where everybody um, has learning goals and everybody is willing to cope with the failures and disappointments that come from steep learning paths. And, where people are encouraged to build new skills and kind of share the information. For me, that's when I'm trying to get the feel of a, of a, of a new company or something when I'm going in as a coach, that, that uh, commitment to learning is one of the things that I look for as a, um, as a key to a positive culture. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. hundred percent agree. And I would take it even one step further. Uh, the flip side of that is the commitment to teaching, right? Because learning, we all want personal development. We all want growth. And I find the most successful organizations are also committed to teaching. And the individuals within the company are committed uh, to teaching. It's a, 
uh, it's the flip side of the same coin. And, and I, I find the most successful companies, uh, most employees are looking for professional development. They're looking for growth. And if you have a culture where you also uh, have your, not just leaders, but everyone has a commitment to teaching uh, the, and mentoring, um, now you have a, a virtuous cycle. That makes a lot of sense. And now I want to change gears a little bit here because I don't want to leave without having you uh, tell us a bit about your current company, Culture IQ, which um, helps organizations develop a strong culture. Can you um, tell us about how you do that and how you actually have a platform, you know, software that helps with that? Sure, sure. Well, seven years ago, I was using culture similar to Zappos. It was in a way meaning that it was an important part of my leadership style, right? I was a generalist. I was the, the general manager of a company and I was on the boards of the board of, of several companies and culture was always an important part of my, my leadership and advisory style. And seven years ago, I decided, well, instead of having culture be um, part of my career, um, it seemed like everything had converged uh, that culture would become would become my career, and I founded a company called Culture IQ. And as the name would suggest, uh, it's kind of a play on on words and letters. Uh, culture is obvious, and then IQ, uh, really trying to put data to a what had typically been conce- uh, perceived as a very qualitative topic. Right, culture can often feel squishy. So really, the idea with Culture IQ was to uh, to really apply data to this more to a topic that had often been considered qualitative and make it quantitative. So Culture IQ uh, really has three parts to it. Um, and software, it's tech-enabled, meaning you, most organizations are today. And, and with Culture IQ, uh, we use uh, software to do three things. Uh, so one is to help a company... Uh, or a process to help a company define its culture, its ideal culture. Right? So what is, the, what is the ideal high-performance culture we would like to achieve? What is important for our organization? What are the dimensions of culture that are important for our company and our industry? So that's stage one. Like what, is our, what do we aspire to? What is the culture we aspire to? The second is then, is then analyzing the existing culture. What is your baseline? How are you performing? Do your employees know your mission value? Does your organization have a communicati- communicative um, culture? Is it collaborative? You know, what about your leadership? What about your work environment? So, so what is your ideal culture? And then what is your, your current culture? And with that, um, you can determine a gap analysis. Where, where are the gaps? And then the third part is what actions do you need to take or would you take to move toward that ideal culture? Uh, and then Culture IQ suggests those approaches and provides metrics to measure you know, the efficacy of your actions. So it's just defining your ideal culture, measuring your existing culture, and then taking action and, and really measuring, um, you know, putting um, accountability to the steps that you're taking to accomplish it. So Culture IQ has worked with about a thousand companies in the past seven years. So around the world, big and small. So I'm really proud of the 
the work we've done. I, I recently uh, stepped up from the CEO role. I like the word step up instead of step down. I stepped up to vice chairman. Uh, so um, we, uh, we have, uh, so I'm no longer the CEO, but I'll always be the founder. Uh, and fortunately, I'm on the board of directors as vice chairman as the company continues to, uh, to help uh, companies around the world. Well, you have a wealth of data there with a thousand um, companies involved. So I have a, a question. If you will dip into you know, some of the things that you've done to help um, organizations improve their culture. Let's think about uh, some of our listeners out there. Maybe they're, uh, they have a little small business or maybe they're managers in the middle of a complex organization of some sort. It's easy if you're not at the top of something to think, I can't do much about culture. I mean, I'm not the boss. But you said earlier that everybody can impact culture, and I I believe that. I think every single person can have some impact on the culture around them. So looking at all the data and what's worked for you as a consultant with your clients, what are some suggestions for people for our listeners who would like to have some impact on the culture around them, even if they're not the big boss? Right. Well, it's it's a great question and a very important question, because in my experience, uh, fortunately, it's not just the the leadership, the, the senior, the most senior executives. It's not just the human resources and the talent professionals or the managers. Uh, everyone in the company impacts its culture. And, and I see sometimes the most junior, the newest and most junior employees having an outsized impact on their culture. As a matter of fact, you see some organizations that form these, that form culture committees, which is a cross section of employees to, uh, to come up with suggestions and implement culture initiatives throughout the organization. Sometimes these most junior employees have, the, have a significant or an outsized impact so it's anyone and everyone should work to uh, to influence the culture at the organization. Um, so that's so that's just a general statement. But some things you can do um, as if you're not a manager, you don't need to be a manager to, to have influence. Um, you can. We mentioned earlier this idea of learning, but also the idea of teaching. Right, everyone has their unique experience and. And some organizations um, call on that experience use, doing things like brown bag lunch sessions where employees who have an area of expertise will host a lunch and everyone brings their lunch in a bag and, and that employee will, will teach a topic. And it doesn't even have to be a topic related to what the organization, um, the product or service of the organization. It can be a woodworking topic. It can be a book club. It can be a... Um, you know, making uh, uh, making uh, balloon uh, you know balloon <laughs> art, right? Yeah. It can be anything, and and people want to learn, and they don't want to just learn uh, the ins and outs of their organization. They want to grow grow as people and as human beings. So that's one. Um, another is is mentoring, and again, you don't need to be a leader in the company. You can be the, a junior person, and and you could be mentoring. An intern, you could be mentoring another junior person who's recently joined your organization. And what I've also found fascinating was this concept of reverse mentoring. I first 
learned about this from a, uh, a Harvard Business School case study about uh, Jack Welch, uh, the legendary uh, longtime CEO of General Electric. And he had this concept of reverse mentoring, which I, th- I believe is more important now than ever before. And this is oh, the yeah. idea that, that some younger employees have areas of expertise that, that older leaders like myself, um, 30 years into my career, and someone who's a few, a few years into their career uh, probably has a very different skill set. For example, marketing, which is important at every company. I couldn't. I do not have a significant amount of experience with uh, with online marketing, with digital marketing, with paid media. Whereas more junior employees that have grown up um, with social media have a tremendous amount of expertise. My marketing manager, who was in her twenties, um, reverse mentored me for many years with my organization. And this can happen in every organization. So I really like this concept. So so just to summarize. Right, so uh, teaching some teaching other employees in your organization, uh, regardless of your level, uh, mentoring someone, and then reverse mentoring. These are just a few examples, but just remembering that every employee can have an outsized impact on on a company culture. Yes, absolutely, and all of the su- the suggestions you made have that theme of learning, promoting learning and engaging in learning. Seems absolutely. like something we all can do. Well, Greg, thank you so much uh, again for coming here today. I um, I uh, recommend that people are interested in culture, they, they check out your book, The Culture Quotient. It's really readable with stories and tips, and um, I think it's um, it's going to do well. And, uh, and I, I'm thrilled to have an opportunity to uh, be one of the first folks to visit with you since your launch. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, the book is is formally launching November tenth, uh, and the uh, we talked a lot about Zappos. Tony Shea, the longtime CEO of Zappos, uh, wrote the forward for the book. So I'm really proud that since Zappos set me on this path of culture to have have it come full circle and have uh, Tony Shea be uh, the author of the forward. Uh, so I, I I really appreciate you having me on the show and and. Uh, jazzed about work and and please uh, let me know if uh, if you'd like to chat again sometime I, I would really enjoy i would enjoy that too so uh, uh let's stay in touch well thanks again and um have a great day thank you you too thank you Beth. today we've been talking with greg besner about what it takes to create a performance culture in the place where you work this podcast is produced by woub public media Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's tip is that understanding and talking about your team's mission is a key to their good work. And staying aware of your mission at work will help you to build a rewarding career. Thanks for joining us today. And if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. Oh,